Ground ball to short. Jack Longren gobbles it up. Throws it first. And for the first time since 1984, the Michigan Wolverines are Omaha bound. And Michigan has stunned the number one national seed. UCLA is out. And Michigan is going to the College World Series. Get the scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm Roger Steele alongside Chris Brown. As first and foremost, thank you for everybody who participated in our Twitter contest. As Steve Searcy, the Tigers third round draft pick from 1985 uh, of the University of Tennessee was our quote-unquote future star. So I will be naming the two Twitter handles. They'll get a $25, or excuse me, a $20 gift card. Well, no, screw it. $25 gift card from us at Best Buy. So I'll be DMing you or I'll be tagging you on the post. So congratulations on that. I just thought it would be kind of cool to throw it out there. See, because the Tigers draft and the, the, the All-Star game coming up, it seemed appropriate to talk about future stars. So yeah. A lot of people knew that. I, I did not. Yeah, and uh, somebody, somebody pointed out, um, I think it was Leland's lung coked out. Steve oh, Sturcey, yeah. he, lo- he looked coked out in that picture. So, yeah. uh, but coming well, up, it was the eighties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like everybody did coke in the eighties. I feel like that's just like the the go to thing. Like, oh, you know, no one knew it was gonna be addictive and be one of the most yeah. uh, stereotypical things of all time. Like, pot was associated with the seventies, and I guess coke it was associated mm-hmm. with the eighties. So there you go. But. uh but it gets you tonight. We're going to talk a little bit of competitive balance. There's an article in the athletic that I want to get Chris's opinion about. Chris is also going to continue his case that, well, I'm not saying his case, but the the case of Jacoby Jones is out there. And uh, who did fix the swing? It's, it was like a who done it. So uh, there's all these schools of thought out there. There's and we'll get to that a little bit. The good, bad, and ugly are inside the numbers, and also a little bit. And we're kicked off the show with some Michigan baseball and. I know Chris was staying up a little late the other night as Michigan, and you heard the audio right before the show, as Michigan advances for the only the second, you know, Chris, was a, here's a stat that I saw that was fascinating. Michigan's the only the second only Big Ten school in the last 20 years to go to the College World Series. Can you know, do you know the other school? I think it was Indiana in 2013. That is correct. Nice. That yeah. Was, I think that was the, the Schwarber team. I, yeah, um, I think, I think that, yeah, I think that was the Schwarber team. Correct. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's this is an, a very impressive achievement, and it's it wasn't a fluke. Michigan went out there and beat the number one team in the country, the team that was number one for most of the season. Uh, they beat them on their home field, and you know they didn't destroy them, but they went they beat them with execution and pitching, which is uh, was really impressive. Like there's uh, there probably isn't a better trio of starters in in college baseball right now. And two of the guys, you know, Tommy Henry and Carl Kaufman were both drafted in the second round. And the third one, Jeff Criswell, is probably a second-round talent next year. So this is a really talented team, and they played really well when it counted. And, yeah, it was it was a super fun, enjoyable thing. And now everything's gravy. You know, they say kind of just getting to Omaha where you're one of the final eight teams. It's a little bit like getting to the final four in, in college basketball. You know, it's just like 
you put you hang a flag for that just because it's it's enough of an accomplishment. So getting to Omaha, now it's a double elimination kind of round robin thing. And who knows what's going to happen? Michigan faces Texas Tech, who destroyed them in three games earlier this year. But Michigan's playing well, so yeah, it's it's really fun to watch. You know, college baseball's a little different uh, in, in a number of ways. The the defense can get a little sketchy. I believe Michigan made like five errors in their game two loss, including one that was just really like, oh man, I felt awful. It was their left fielder. I don't know if you saw this at all, Roger, but they were it was. They were tied 3-3 heading into the – Michigan was the home team in the second game, so they're heading into the bottom of the ninth, I believe. And with two outs, they got a fly ball to the left fielder, and he just plain dropped it. It, it was brutal. And, and it scored a run, so it made it 4-3. Now Michigan continued to show fight, and uh, Jimmy Kerr, the Tigers' 33rd-round draft pick, uh, led off with a double and eventually came around to score to tie it, but I think Michigan lost that one in the 12th inning. So, yeah, this wasn't this wasn't a fluke. They did it. Uh, they got really awesome pitching performance from Carl Kaufman in Game One. He, uh, I think, it's uh, the Rockies took him in the second round. Yeah, yeah, they, they were it, celebrating on the bus when I saw it. They were like, they did something on Twitter. I saw yeah. where they were celebrating that. Yeah, and he is primarily like a sinker slider guy, like ninety two with a sinker. The slider was just fantastic, and guys just kept swinging over top of it all game. I think he had a one hitter into the ninth. In that first game, it got a little sketchy there at the end, but uh, and then it was Criswell in game two, and that was the one where the kind of defense kind of failed him. And then game three was Tommy Henry, who was uh, talked about as a potential first rounder earlier in the year when his velocity was up, but he was down mostly, you know, 88 to 90, 91, and he gave him seven innings, a two run ball in the third game to keep him in it, and uh, yeah, and apparently after afterward, you found out that he had. Flu symptoms and pneumonia. Yeah, he had he was he had an IV going in his system the entire time to the 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 fight off dehydration. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean this is it's just one of those things where like you see these college kids they they want this so badly and the, the short their starting shortstop broke his wrist or his hand sliding into second base had to come off the field to get it worked on. They were like it looked like they were trying to pop it back in place, and they they taped it back up. He kept playing and he ended up making the final throw to end the game. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. You see this mix, like all college sports, it's kind of, it's fun because you see a mix of guys who are going to be pros and guys who are going to be like selling insurance in another couple of years, or doing real estate. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say, or real estate. That's always the that's always the go to move there. Yeah, like their second baseman, Akeo Thomas. He, he was a really good player. Got the huge two run single for him, I think, in game three. But he's not a pro prospect. Uh, he's like you know, five eight. But uh, so I mean, it's a huge part of the team and. It's just fun to see. And and like I said, the, the talent is there with the guys that got drafted this year. The right fielder, Jordan Brewer, I think his name Jordan, got, got drafted in the third round by the Astros. Our buddy Brandon really wanted the Tigers to get him. And next year, their, their center fielder, Jesse Martin, is going to go drafted in the top five rounds. Chris Well is. And uh, their catcher, Joe Donovan, might also get, get drafted in the top five rounds. So, yeah, there's a lot of talent on this team. We wouldn't necessarily expect that because as you said northern baseball teams especially in the big 10 they don't make it to omaha very often so it's a really cool accomplishment and it's fun to watch and i encourage people to check it out because uh, you, you probably won't see it for a long time yeah and i i didn't i didn't get a chance to see that player the left field but what's interesting and i did watch a couple games 
I have watched Michigan throughout the season here and there when I've ever gotten a chance because the Big Ten Network, you have a chance to watch the opportunity. So get some in-conference games. Well, what I found fascinating, kind of breaking the stats a little bit down, is, and this is not going to be my inside number, what I thought was interesting was they were 2-5 and five against the top teams in the top 25. So, and then, and then they're away. I mean, again, away too. The, the the fact that they did this, they weren't a really good away team. They're only just, they're a game above 500 away, Chris. And that, and that to me was, says a lot about the team's characteristic to, to come together like this. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things, and it's kind of a, a they, they, despite UCLA being the number one team in college baseball, it was kind of a lucky draw for Michigan in, in a couple ways. Now, UCLA was just super steady all year long and they, they didn't lose a weekend series all year until until Michigan came and did it but Michigan did beat them earlier in the year in California and Michigan takes it like a west coast trip every year because these northern teams the, the season starts in like late February early March and you can't play baseball in Michigan at that point so northern teams spend the first month of the season on the road and Michigan always does a west coast swing so they're comfortable out in the west coast they're comfortable in that uh, time zone and the UCLA baseball stadium only holds like 1,200 people. It's not uh, – and that's pretty good, but there are stadiums in the SEC. Like Mississippi State Stadium holds like 15,000 people. The stadium at LSU, like there are, there are big-time college stadiums where the atmosphere is just, you know, uh, just choke you out. But UCLA isn't one of those, and Michigan travels super well. It's not necessarily that people are coming from Michigan to L.A. to, you know, watch the team, but – they always say Michigan has the, uh, I think the largest living alumni base. I'm not entirely sure why that's the case because it's not the largest enrollment. So, but uh, yeah, there are a ton of Michigan people in Los Angeles, and and if Michigan's going to be out there, they're going to go and support. And, and they really got a ton of support from the fans, and it was, uh, I'm sure it helped them. So it would have been a lot different if they were down there in Starkville, Mississippi. I don't think there's a ton of Michigan fans down there. No, no. I mean, I, I think Michigan. Uh, sorry to say, no offense to anybody who lives in Mississippi, whatever, but what have you. But uh, yeah, that tends to be a school that's within. Or Michigan does. We either go Los Angeles, New York. The those big two metropolitan centers have a, quite a bit. A lot of Michigan. Yeah, I mean, that's, whenever you see the basketball team, like if they're playing in, in Madison Square Garden, you're like, all right, it's basically a home game. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, Chicago, when they play against Northwestern in football, there's always more Michigan fans there. It's uh, it's it's one of the, I don't know, I'm sure for people who like Michigan State or whatever, they're like, whatever, front runners, you losers, you don't ever do anything right. But, uh, and partially true. But it is, it's one of the, the, the benefits of being a fan of a team that uh, is, is popular in that way. It's the same sort of thing, like with a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan or something like that. You can find Red Sox fans everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you look at the top five, and here's the thing, too. You look at the top five of the country, UCLA, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Stanford, and Arkansas. That's all SEC, Pac-12, and, and it's – yeah, it's, you can't you can't really argue that results with based off weather. And also these schools are able to just recruit – I mean, the weather sells itself, of course, but Vanderbilt's a very good program. It's built itself up really well. But the one thing about the Michigan program – that had, is a little different, and it can't it consider like kind of like they had a really good they had a good top ten class draft, a top ten class a couple of years ago recruiting wise, and I mean the softball program Michigan's one of the best they were the first team that was west of the east of Mississippi to win the college world series from softball, so mm-hmm. it's that kind of dedication to just hey, why not us, 
as small as that is too. I mean, it, but a lot to a lot of a lot of the credit goes to what the recruiting the coach has been able to do. Came over from Maryland and was able to. Build. Yeah, he was at Vanderbilt before yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's there. Yeah, Eric Bakich or Bakich or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Bakich, yeah. it was funny the. Uh, the announcers in all three games, there were a lot of the Michigan fans who thought the announcers were super homerish for UCLA. I didn't think it was too bad, although the one, the color commentator just was constantly complaining about Michigan's defensive alignments because they kept playing basically no doubles depth with their outfielders. Whenever there were men on base, the outfielders would be like 10 feet from the wall. And it, it never once, maybe once bit them, but he kept complaining about it. And it was just kind of like, dude, we get it. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, it, it it was it's a very fun. You know, I'm, I'm sure Michigan State fans, I'm sure would love to see their program pick it up, and I, I I would like to see that too. It'd be nice to have good college baseball throughout the state. Central Michigan was good this year, but they uh, they made the the tournament, but I believe they lost in the regional. They because they won the MAC, but yeah, it's it's a uh, you know it's a different, slightly different brand of baseball. You're gonna see more bunts for the most part. The pitching is. Uh, it's a good like illustration of major league baseball command versus amateur baseball pitching. Like these guys hit their spots like once out of every eight times for the most part, even the good pitchers, but yeah, it's, it's a fun and I think people should watch it. That's all I'm saying. And they should. And even like the camaraderie with uh, Vanderbilt's pitcher was a Jordan, is it Jordan Kumar? Oh, uh, Kumar Rocker. Yeah. Kumar Rocker. Sorry, Jordan Kumar. Kumar Rocker, and after Duke was trying to slow him down during the no-hitter, they strikes out the side, although the pitching count was a little out of hand. Like it was 130, 140 pitchers. pitchers yeah, about 135 crazy. pitches, I think. He was uh, – Yeah. Yeah, I know he was considered a potential top 20 pick last year in the draft, but he wanted like $5 million. Nobody wanted to pay him. And uh, so he went down there, yeah, with 19 strikeout, no-hitter in the, in the Super Regionals. Uh, just kind of an epic performance. I said it's the last, it's the last no hitter in the super regionals, or at least in the in the uh, college world series was Jonathan Crawford, former Tigers draft pick, who was then traded to the Reds for Alfredo Simon. But yeah. Crawford never turned out to be anything. Maybe that's not a good sign. But whatever. Yeah, there's another name that well goes without saying. But uh, no. anywho, um, so we continue on the Tigers. In Kansas City this week, the reason why I mentioned College World Series is Omaha. They they do every. This is I think the second year now they're doing this where they're playing. I, I think it's the first. It's the, the first time oh, they've I done. Thought, it. I think they did last year. Oh, uh, maybe you're right. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, Tigers and Royals are playing from the stadium there in Omaha, where all the College World Series games are being played. Yeah. Which is a very cool thing. Yeah, it's like uh, what was the was it the Phillies and. Who played in the Shrep, uh, in the Little League World Series Park last year? I forgot what was the two teams involved. I thought it was Phillies. Oh, you forgot else. about that, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I thought maybe it was Phillies and Pirates that did that last year, but uh, I thought that was cool. I, I that it's it's good to have baseball think outside the box. And then there's moments before we got the inside of numbers, but then there's moments where for whatever reason they're like, hey, you know the 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 future, you know the, the players that matter to us in the most. Let's mm-hmm. make that game only seven innings and not and explain why at all. But we'll, <laughs> we'll disguise it by putting Jim Jim Tomey Jim Tome and Dennis Martinez as the managers. That way, people won't ask any more questions. Yeah, they made a bunch of changes that that nobody can really figure out why they changed uh, the changes from the U.S. versus the world to National League versus American League, 
And yeah, seven innings. And instead of being before the celebrity softball game, it's now after the celebrity softball game, which is fine by me. I don't yeah. know why the celebrity softball game exists, really. It's but, not. It's not. It's not. It's not Jock. Not Jock's. Uh, was it the MTV? Yeah, Rocket Rock Jock. Jock. Yeah, it's not Rocket Jock. There's no Roger McDowell on that out there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a bummer for me because along with the draft, it's like one of my two favorite days of the baseball year because um, it's a chance to get see all these prospects in one spot. But yeah, you'll still get to see them. It's just two innings less, so. And maybe they just figured, like, those games tend to be, once you get into the 8th and ninth, you see a bunch of pitchers go out there and face one or two batters. So maybe that's just, they're like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, as people are saying, you know, let the kids play and then don't let us see them. Yeah. And then, you know, and then they wonder why they have the issues that they do. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, so the Tigers and Royals this weekend, or the Tigers and Royals and then the Indians come into town. For Fiesta Tiger, Fiesta Tigers, which is or Fiesta Tigres, excuse me, which is Saturday. Usually it's the first weekend of August it has been, but they moved it up a little bit. So, but let's start with inside the numbers and and Chris, what is your inside the number this week? Uh, well, there's a whole lot of numbers inside this number, but but I start out with uh, with 184 and five, and that 184 is Jacoby Jones' uh, weighted runs created plus over the last 30 days. And the five is where that ranks in all of baseball in the last month. Uh, he hit 361, 419, 675, which puts him fifth behind Mike Trout, Kristen Yelich, Anthony Rendon, and Yasmani Grandal. Uh, so, yeah. You know, we, we talked about – people keep talking about, like, hey, he's, he's kind of hot. But, uh, you know, that's pretty damn hot to be a top five hitter at baseball right now. Um, and, and the funny thing is, like, this is by far – it's not even close to the best month of his career – uh, before this, the best month ever was March and April of last year, 2018, when he had a WRC plus of 115. Every other month in his career has been below 100. He's been below average in every single other month of his career. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess it counts as May, because this has been going on since like the second week of May. So May was above and June he's above right now. But uh, so, I mean, the main question is, how real is this? And. I think most people are a little bit skeptical, and, and for good reason. A, a huge red flag right away. His BABIP is 480 over the last month, which is ridiculously unsustainable. There's just no way. Uh, so, but I, but I don't think any of us like honestly believe he's going to be a 360 hitter. You know, just sometimes players just get get hit hot. You know, and and he is fourth in the last month in line drive rate, and 22nd in hard hit rate. So the underlying contact kind of suggests that this isn't entirely luck. Um, you go to baseball savant and his weighted on base average is 421, which is really, really high. Uh, but the expected weight on, on base, which is, you know, they do that based on contact, the quality of contact, the launch angle and exit velocity is 387. So it's, you know, 40 points lower than what he actually is putting up. So there's definitely gonna be some regression, but 387 is still really good. Like that's what JD Martinez is putting up right now. That that's top 15, top 20 in baseball last year for a whole season. So. You know, we, we take away some of the luck. We'll give him more realistic batting average on balls in play. Instead of 480, we'll just go like 340, which is going to bring his average down to about 260, which I think is still a lot better than any of us were expecting just like two months ago. You know, he was a guy who looked like he was done, hitting under 200. Um, and the, the power is going to come down a little bit if when the average does. You know, some of those hits are doubles or home runs or whatever. But if he can be a 260 hitter, 
with the what he's doing right now with like a nine percent walk rate and a thirty percent strikeout rate and an isolated power of about two hundred instead of three twenty or whatever he has right now, that looks almost identical to Justin Upton, which I think Tigers fans would be super happy about if Jacoby Jones randomly turned into Justin Upton. Uh, you know, it's like a three win player. Um, and you know, we, we got some more evidence that his defense isn't all that great, at least not as good as we thought it was. But if, if he can, you know, if he continue to hit like this and you move him to a corner spot, then you got yourself a really good player for sure. And, uh, you know, is it wishful thinking? Almost certainly we shouldn't uh, just throw out that two and a half years or whatever of really bad offensive performance just to cling to this last, you know, month or month and a half. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's fun to be hopeful. So there you go. That's the number. And, you know, the thing is, Chris, there's a lot of like this, I I don't want to say what, there's like this two, two, two schools of thought when it comes to Jacoby Jones, what you just said about either how long can he keep this up? And then there's, well, you know, if the, the fan, like the, the, who's taking credit, like this huge ordeal about who's getting credit for the turnaround. So whether it's Lily McClellan or he had outside help, which I mean, there's a, there's a Facebook group I'm involved in with Detroit Tiger fans. Some of the fans sometimes crack me up because they just want to be, they, they'd rather be right than wrong about a point, which sometimes it gets a little out of hand about it. But regardless of how he got help and what have you, I'll take a 260, 270 bat with some flashes of power versus whatever that was prior to that. I mean, if we get and his, yeah. his defense, his defense has come down a little bit, which has surprised me. But would you sacrifice his defense for a better offensive output? Me, uh, to me, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, like you said. Th- this offensive performance is. If he continues like this, he's their best hitter, yeah. which uh, is kind of, you know, we can't expect it to happen. But we do know that the underlying tools have always been there, the speed and the power. The hitting ability was always the big question. And if he's figured out a, a way to hit for him that's consistent and he's walking at a decent clip, that you can live with the strikeouts. And, um, you know, I'll talk about more the defense a little bit more in, in a minute. But, yeah, this is uh, – I don't know. I, I don't really care who fixed him or if he's fixed or whatever. I just want to, you know, I'm just kind of wishing that it is real because there's a lot of stuff to like there with Jacoby Jones. You know, the way he, when he gets on the bases, he really puts pressure on the other team and he, there's, there's a lot of stuff to like. So I'm hoping it's real, but you know, we don't have to go back more than like six weeks to, to see when Manny Rodriguez was going bonkers and it just, you know, players get hot for whatever reason, and, and they need to, I think I mentioned at the other show, like we need to see him adjust to whatever adjustments pitchers make against Jones coming up soon, which I, I assume will happen. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a matter of time before teams will figure him out. But uh, my good, or is my inside number is, uh, and given the, my inside number, my good, bad, and ugly this week is all Texas Ranger themed. Oh yeah, so I pulled the uh, the fourth the effect up, but before I was on the Texas Rangers, I did want to talk one minor Tiger inside the number two. Uh, first and foremost, by the way, the Tigers are looking for an operations data engineer, so that was something I saw earlier today when I was doing research uh, on Fangraphs. And so, if you know anybody that would fit that title, go on Fangraphs and apply for that. But uh, so, but the. 
wanted to talk a little bit about yesterday, uh, Spencer Trimble's start yesterday, Chris. And before I get to my inside number, Spencer Trimble, I thought was taken out a little early, but I understand why it was because they wanted to overdo it a little bit. But I thought Spencer Trimble turned another fine start yesterday and was able to keep the Royals off balance. And it seemed like yesterday he was spotting his fastball pretty well. Yeah, he seems to like pitching against the Royals. Uh, th- yeah, you, you have to be impressed with what Turnbull's doing this year. And people kind of forget already that last year he w- he came up for a couple spot starts and everybody was like, eh, I don't think so. But, uh, yeah, he's one of the, by F-War and Baseball Reference War, but, you know, Fangraphs War and Baseball Reference War, he's one of the five or six best rookies in the American League this year. And if he continues at this pace, I mean, he's got a, legitimate claim at being the best rookie. I, I don't think he's going to win rookie of the year, but he's looking like a, you know, he's got a chance to be a three win pitcher, which I think is, I don't remember what former was like three and a half, maybe. Yeah. But uh, you know, you go back to Justin Verlander's rookie year and I don't think he was a three win pitcher. So it's uh, yeah, it, they've got themselves. Uh, what looks like a decent piece of a rotation going forward. He's had some good luck. Uh, but he's also very good. We talk about this a bunch for years now that he's really good at limiting home runs. And so you can kind of make your luck a little bit if you're not giving up long balls. So I don't know. I, I, I've been nothing but impressed with him. I'm waiting for at some point his shoulder to start barking or, you know, the bat, the luck to turn. But even still, it, it, this is he's been an absolute godsend for the Tigers rotation this year. Yeah, and the, the inside number for that, real quick before we get to Texas, a minor one, is just two, and that's he's only had support. He's only the, the offense has only scored two runs for him in the last his last two starts combined, which is 11 innings pitched, and he's just allowed just three earned runs. And But the the two is the number of how many runs the Tigers have scored. So the better, I mean, I it, yeah, the three and five, of course, wins and losses don't matter, but you want a little bit of better than that to support your 2.78 year array. Yeah, I'm going to look and see what his run support looks like this year overall. While you do that, Chris, I'll uh, start with my my other my true inside the number, and the Rangers have the Rangers have surprised a lot. They've surprised me. I'll get to more of that in the good, bad, and ugly. But they're we talked about some of their their outfielders before, and their their approach at the plate a little bit, and it's something that has the Rangers have had like some. The, some sluggers, what's the uh, one? I'm trying to think of the Joey, uh, Joey, Joey uh, Gallo. Yeah, Joey Gallo, who's like bat 210, but probably has like some of them, they were like 25, 26 home runs. Um, but the progress of one that has come out of the mind, too, is Nomar Marzia, Mar- Mar- uh, who has been able to really pick it up. And this year, he's batting 267, 319, 445. He's progressing. Um, I mean, he's he's always he's always been able to swing very well. His aggressive swing, but they're showing. And baseball uh, prospectus had a really good article talking about the patience he's had at the plate, and be able to kind of figure up, figure out how to hit a changeup, hit the secondary pitches. But the, the inside number really involves all that too. Is his optimal launch angle, which is up thirty five, uh, up. Two thirty-five percent, but it's up from last year, which was at twenty-eight percent. So he is hitting up on ninety-four point eight on average of batted balls out. So he's hitting the ball harder out, and he's making adjustments. 
And really, it's just it, it shows the signs. You know, and the Rangers are in second place in the West, but we'll, more on that a little later. But either way, I thought that was an interesting number out there for you. That this is a guy who was pretty much known as a fastball or nothing kind of hitter a little bit, but he has been able to get his mechanics down in stride. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had him as my my ugly. I think just like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, yeah, because his numbers looked similar to the rest of his career, but that's interesting. Yeah. There's always a a deeper way to look at it. And I obviously, I didn't look into his lunge angle and see like the the core elements might be there for him to have a breakout. So that's cool to know. Yeah. And, and it was kind of added to what you're, you're saying. I mean, something like you, you weren't really saying it was that bad, but you were seeing from the conversation we had about the two, you were, it sounded like you had a couple of bad weeks there, but either way, I, my whole, whole uh, argument was that he just hasn't gotten any better since he was a rookie, uh, but the numbers. But, you know, that, that's one of those things where, and, and it's funny you mentioned Gallo because he's in my good, bad, and ugly. Um, <laughs> sometimes we just expect too much from players, and it takes them a while to figure it out. And, and maybe Mazzaro is one of those. Yeah, and either way, for, for the Rangers to be what they are right now in second place in the West is honestly – Coming up, that's out of nowhere, for me at least. And no one expected the Rangers to be doing this well. Yeah, well, it's another one of those examples where these other teams that seem like they're rebuilding or tanking or whatever, and yet they're still competing and, and showing obvious signs of progress. And then there's teams like the Tigers and the Marlins and the Orioles who are just uh, awful. Yeah, and we'll get to that too. There's the Competitive Balance article that we uh, was on the athletic. We'll get to that. We'll save it at the end of the show. But it is now time for the good, bad, and ugly, Chris. What is yours this week? So, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I'm i doing center field. So, there's going to be a repeat of a lot of names we've already talked about. And my good is actually Joey Gallo. And you're saying, what the hell? Joey Gallo is center field? Yes. <laughs> He's been playing center field for the Rangers. This is the hulking, like, six foot five, 240-pound Joey Gallo who came up as a third baseman and people thought was going to have to move to first. He's playing third, uh, center field, and he's doing it well which is really surprising. He's doing everything well this year. You mentioned before, he's a guy who's going to hit like 210. And that's true. The first, uh, his first two full seasons, he hit, I think, 206 and 209. And this year, he's hitting 276. And the, the BABIP is way up, but it's entirely supported by the batted ball data. He's, he's still striking out 35% of the time, and he's still hitting a ton of power, but he's walking like 8% more or 6% more, something like that. Um, yeah, and, and again, the craziest thing about it is the guy his size is playing center field, and he's doing it well. It's He's got above-average sprint speed. He is grading out as a, a – he's got one out above average, according to StatCast. And Fangrass has him as the fifth-best defensive center fielder in baseball behind Lorenzo Cain, Kevin <laughs> Kiermaier, Byron Buxton, and Cattell Marte. That's insane, it's, it, man. It's, it's nuts, yeah. So, again – in the defensive numbers, you never know, but that's just one of those things where, like, wow, what, what a complete change from this player who looked like he was the second coming of Adam Dunn. Now he's got, like, MVP-level numbers. And if the Rangers make the playoffs somehow magically, like, he's going to get some serious top three, top five MVP votes because it's going to be largely on the back of him. So, yeah, really impressive. Uh, the bad, and this is where I'm. we mentioned Jacoby Jones earlier, and I mentioned that we had more evidence that he's not as good of a fielder as we thought. Um, so here it is. And this is kind of 
you know, it's one of those things where it just seems counterintuitive. You watch him play, and he seems good. But all, like, literally all of the advanced defensive metrics this year have him as being really bad, which is, it's hard to believe. So he ranks 29th out of 30 center fielders on fan graphs. Uh, he ranks 512th out of 515 players, according to baseball reference, in runs above average at negative 10. 512th out of 515. That's at every position. Jeez, He's bottom man. four. Wow. Um, and he ranks 93rd out of 100 outfielders in StatCast's new outfield jump metric. What's which that? Is kind of fun. Uh, is it, is so it Van Halen? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, sure. It, uh, you jump from here to Panama, I guess. I don't know much about Van Halen, whatever. Uh, what, but what, yeah, what jump does is it measures uh, the feet an outfielder saves based on his initial reaction and route to a ball. It's all based on, on balls that are to the outfield for in, in, in the air for more than three seconds. So you compare it to the average outfielder and you measure players by you know, the feet better. And there are three components to it. Uh, the first component is the reaction, which are the feet covered in any direction during the first uh, one and a half seconds. So if you take a false step, run forward, that's your reaction. Uh, then there's the burst, which are the feet covered in any direction after that 1.5 seconds. And then there's the route, which is, you know, makes sense. You know, how, how direct of a route he took to where the ball lands as compared to, like, the exact perfect straight as the crow flies route. So with all that, Jacoby Jones is 3.4 feet below average, which is, again, 93rd out of 100. Uh, Kristen Stewart comes in at 98th, which is uh, not that surprising. Castellanos is 78th. So Jacoby Jones is ranking out worse than Nick Castellanos in terms of outfield jumps. Uh, he's Jones is 88th in initial reaction, 83rd in burst, and 71st in route. So it seems like he's just getting bad reads. Um, and being that three feet below average, it essentially takes Jacoby Jones from from an above average runner who's going you know 28 feet per second when he's running to an average runner, 27 feet per second. So yeah, it's, it, this is really like granular, and, and you wonder how much it actually matters. But it's just what I was saying the other day that there are a lot of numbers now pointing that Jones is not the defensive center fielder that we thought he was. I don't think he's nearly as bad as these numbers suggest. There's there's no way in hell he's the fourth worst defender in baseball. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what baseball reference says. You can come get me. Um, but. I, so, so I don't think he's that bad, but I also don't think he's necessarily all that good, or at least as good as we thought he was last year. So, again, when I mentioned earlier the whole uh, Justin Upton comparison, I, I think this is just a whole lot of ifs, but if Jacoby Jones can keep hitting at a good level, I think you could slide him into right field next year when Castellanos is gone and have yourself a really, really good player. Because it's one of those things, like, I, I did this a long time ago when I did a big article about Gary Sheffield. I noticed that certain players were below average in center field, but really well, like, well above average in right field. And the, the two examples I came up with were Jonas Cespedes and Adam Eaton. And I think that would be the case with Jacoby Jones, too. Because, uh, you know, sometimes it's just the reads and the reactions, and uh, there's less room to cover there in right field. So, anyway, Jacoby Jones' defense, bad across the board this year. We'll see. And then the ugly is our old friend Leonis Martin, which is this bums me out to say, but he currently ranks 29th out of 30 qualified center fielders in uh, in offense in WAR. Uh, he's still hitting for solid power like last year, although it's all over the fence. He's not hitting like doubles and triples like he did. 
But his strikeout rate has jumped like 10%. So he's now hitting just 206 with a 66-weighted runs created plus after being 103 last year. Um, and there's some interesting uh, numbers in here, too. He's seeing twice as many shifts as he did last year. So you might think, like, well, hey, that's the explanation for his offense. But his offense is exactly the same against the shift this year, this year as it was last year. It's His big drop has been when teams play a normal defensive alignment against him. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But the main, you know, nobody ever really bought him as a, as a plus offensive player, maybe against, uh, you know, right-handed pitching, but not like a full-time plus center fielder. But, you know, everybody thought he, he's a plus defender. And except this year, he's not grading out good on defense either. He's uh, 26 out of 30th on defensive rating at Fangraphs in, among center fielders. He grades up pretty well at baseball reference, but as we said, you know, a little sketchy about them and Jacoby Jones being a terrible defender. But uh, he also ranks poorly in the outfield jump metric. He's 73rd out of 100. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of a bummer because he was a guy that everyone seems to like, and I kind of wanted him to succeed, even though it's in Cleveland. So I guess that's the, the silver lining is it is in Cleveland, and who cares, haha, and maybe – Martin can come back next year to the Tigers. So that's the ugly. Yeah, and that's usually the case, too, where everybody was like, well, if he does, he'll do better in a Tigers uniform. So, but, uh, so my good and bad ugly this week is, like I said, continuing the Texas Rangers love fest this week is, so the good has been the combination of two pitchers I thought I'd never say in the same sentence as Lance Lynn and Mike Miner are the American League's best one-two in terms of uh, starting pitching combos for war. So they're 4.9. Only Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg of Washington is 6.5, which is actually really impressive if you think about it. They're actually, the combination of Lance Lynn and Mike Miner, 4.9, is right above the Astros' Verlander, Justin Verlander, and Garrett Cole. So, yeah. and it's even impressive with Lynn, who was in Minnesota, a slightly better. Um, they're right ahead of Jacob Rizzi and Jose Barrios, which, I mean, Rizzi, we saw him against the Tigers, efficient, just striking out. He had like six or six, like I think six or seven strikeouts before the end of the fourth inning. He was mowing down Tiger batters. But uh, the Tigers, by the way, on that list, save list, Chris, they're not too far behind. Matt Boyd. And Turnbull. Yeah, Turnbull, 4.3. So, yep. so yeah, for putting some Tiger love in there. But Lynn is striking out 25% of batters against walking just seven percent and his he his uh his era i mean it does like it does stand out a little bit at 4.9 that's part of you know you would tend to where he plays at but mike minor is a the one number that stands out to his velocity on his fastballs forcing fastballs up to 94 so that is pretty <laughs> good yeah so like yeah the one i i will just butt in with one. Of course. Uh, nobody cares about my fantasy team. But a couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, Fangraphs lets you sort players by their ERA minus their mm-hmm. FIP. Yeah. Which basically, like, what what they've done versus what they should have done. And Lance Lynn was one of the leaders in terms of, like, wow, these guys are having a lot of bad luck. So I, I dropped, I don't know, you Darvish, somebody, and picked up uh, Lance Lynn. And, yeah, he's he's – I think tonight he went six innings, gave up three runs, and struck out eight, which is basically what he does every outing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the underlying numbers there suggest that he's pitched well. well. That's why his war is high, because at least the fan graphs, they, they based it on FIP. So, anyway, yeah, it was uh, – I remember when they signed him, I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And it uh, seems like they know better than me. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and speaking of signing, I mean, we're one of the bad too. And the thing about some of the, the rate, uh, some of the flyers they took on him, and they took on Hunter Spence, who seems like he has a lot of miles on him for an outfielder for all the time he spent at in San Francisco, which is a pretty big outfield. And his kind of rough and style kind of play, so you wonder how much he had left in the gas tank and how that would build well for the Rangers. But that was the he's other been part. a monster this year. Yeah, he's been a monster. So it's <laughs> he's like been amazing. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's been a big part of it too. And and kind of, I mean, the only I guess if I'm nit- my, my my bad is kind of nitpicking a little bit on whether it gotten out of a Stroll Cabrera who has who's been serviceable too. I mean, you look at him. But then you still have the curious case of uh, uh, Odor, who stole home the other day. But yeah. with all that aggressiveness, he's still leading back 176. And they have one of the worst one of the worst batting averages for catchers per team with uh, the combination of uh, Jeff Mathis. And mm-hmm. this name, I, was, I had to pause and thought about this too. Isaiah Kinter Khalifa. Kinter Khalifa? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a rapper's name, and then I mean their their catching situation is just atrocious right now too. Since so it's a cast offs, that's their bad. The ugly Chris is the rest of that rotation is been awful. Drew Drew Smiley, not what he used to be. Oof. He's off. He's yeah. uh one in five on the season with the ear rate just north just south of nine, and his whip is at one point nine one for the season. They have just not been able to get anything. Um, I mean Ariel uh, Gerardo has been able to be serviceable at best, um, kind of the third guy in their rotation right now. But beyond that, that's where they're the, the ugliest, the, the rest of that pitching rotation. But they're able to get the kind of production they've been able out of their start. But the, the bullpen is, again, also kind of considered a weakness for this club. As it always seems like we'd be with Texas Ranger teams, with the combination of Sean Kelly's the only one really that's serviceable, but the rest of it, the combination of Kelly and Chavez are the only two relievers to be most effective for the Rangers so far. But the ugly, I would put in with the back end of the bull or the, the bullpen and the back end of that rotation. So Kelly and company. Yeah, Kelly and company. Well, there you go. Nice local reference. Well, that's um, you know, you know, I hate to always be like so negative or point out when other teams are doing better than the Tigers, but like again, the the Rangers came into this year with like it looked like they were going to be a really bad team. The talent was wasn't really there. They had some big contracts uh, in like Chu and some young players who, like I said, like you mentioned Odor, I mentioned Mazzara. It's guys who just hadn't been and their depth, producing. And their depth too, Chris. I mean, their depth is, it's awful. Yeah. But so they went out and, and they signed a bunch of like mid or low tier free agents. You mentioned Cabrera and Lynn and Pence. And it's the sort of like low risk medium reward moves that we wanted the Tigers to do. And, like, almost all of them are paying off. The Smiley obviously isn't, but, you know, the, the other ones are huge. And, and now they have options. They can they can go for it because they're playing well. Or they can, you know, if it doesn't work out, they can trade these guys. They're, like, legitimate trade chips. And it's just uh, it's disappointing to see a team execute that. And I think they got this Drupal Cabrera for less than the Tigers paid for Mercer. And... Uh, yeah, it's just disappointing to see that and see the Tigers go out and get Matt Moore and, and Tyson Ross and have everything fall apart. <laughs> and it, literally none of the players they brought in in the offseason have any trade value. And it's just like, man, you just threw a bunch of money down the toilet. So maybe it's just pure luck of the draw, but it's, it's kind of, it's hard to 
chalk it all up to luck when like every player that the Tigers acquired ended up blowing out or sucking and most of the players the Rangers acquired ended up being good and valuable. So anyway. Yeah, no, you're that's yeah, a good, it, good bad ugly. Thank you. And not that but Smiley, by the way, speaking of just Drew Smiley, they just announced it that he's gonna go to the bullpen. So as of tonight he'll be going yeah. as of recording time tonight of June twelfth, he'll be in the bullpen and you know, no, you're right, Chris. They take flyers on people, and they're able to look at Mike Miner. Miner might end up being a, a, a bit if the Rangers. He like you think about it this way, the trade if the Rangers do go for it and go after Matt Boyd, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Think about it this way, if they go with that Boyd, and you have the combination of him, Lance Lynn, and Miner, that's not bad. However, if the Rangers go the opposite way. That could affect the trademark for Matt Boyd. But in a sense that, you know, Mike Miner is older, uh, 31 years old, so that does bode well for a team like perhaps like somebody like the Yankees who are not looking for a long, long-term long term commitment and maybe could get a starter for down the stretch or the Red Sox. Something like that. I could see them going after somebody like that and not having giving up too much for that. So maybe that may be the case. But if the Rangers go... The opposite way, and they start falling now. Miner's um, his trade value might increase. So who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I thought. Like I said, we haven't really talked about the Rangers often that much. But the be able to put them in a good, bad, ugly in that context. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, talking about ugly things, the competitive balance, and there was there's a really good article that was done in Athletic in terms of this entire process of why teams are doing so badly and why are like this whole like just the competitive balance is out of hand I mean a lot of teams are not doing well this season and it is to me disparaging I mean you you look at you see sometimes the Marlins they'll come out and beat the Brewers 15 nothing but then go out Mm -hmm. and and just get their then they'll get out their asses kicked but it's Ken Rosenthal wrote a really good piece about it. And I thought it was in terms of how to address it, how to go about it. It was kind of like a, it was a small piece of a bigger, some other stuff in the article. But, um, you know, with the Twins and, and Rays exceeding expectations. But it mentioned, you know, they mentioned some highlights about the Padres and the White Sox too. But, you know, I would agree with it. Baseball can do better. And just, you look at the Tigers, look at what the, the, the just, the Royals and Orioles are in bad shape. They're on pace to lose 110 games, and the same thing with the, and the, and the J and the Jays are kind of a, like the Jays kind of frustrate me because they have a couple guys, Nate Peterson, which we talked about in our Twitter chat, who's down in their system just mowing down folks, and they're about to literally look like they're going to lose 100 games. The Giants, they're rebuilding, but they don't even have any, any interesting pieces to them right now. But potential for seven 100 lost teams. So yeah, it's insane. That is insane, and it's just in no one really in. I don't. know, There's no real way to address it, or there's, there's nothing really to be done. I mean, if if you're gonna tell me, well, they're just doing it to draft better, I I think that's I, I think it's a bunch of horse shit. I mean, really, it, it, like it, look at the Reds for example. They sign Jose Iglesias. <laughs> look at the numbers he's putting up. The Tigers make no effort to sign him because he's not a cl- like a clubhouse guy, or whatever the fucking reason was, and. Mm-hmm. There he is putting up really good numbers for him, and some teams at least. I mean, I'll, 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 the Orioles are in bad, bad shape. They're, I mean, they're in terrible shape. But at least with Baltimore, the 
at least it's like the new regime. The new regime excuse can be used, I guess, for them. But I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I don't, know, Chris. I mean, what, what, what? Do you, I mean, I know, I know, you didn't want to have an answer for this, but honestly, out of those teams, of the seven teams that are hundred, they're gonna lose like they lose a hundred of which. Which ones look like they're just doing it on purpose? In other words, I guess. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely think the Tigers are is part of the plan. I don't think. Uh, I mean, when you look at the roster; they are not trying to compete. They spent a little bit of money, but they weren't. You know, there are plenty of free agents out there. They weren't trying to win. You know, um, the Blue Jays. I agree. They they are not trying, but part of that is again that they they're just kind of in that cycle where it's it's time to try to rebuild a little bit. The Orioles, the Giants. I think they, you know I actually think the Giants were hoping to compete. Uh, just they're just really bad. Yeah. So and and I think the Royals were actually kind of hoping to compete too. They it's kind of foolish, but they you know made some moves. They had a plan. And they're going to be like this fast team with this elite outfield defense, and uh, it's just not working out. But yeah, I mean, I think there are a handful of teams that just aren't interested in competing, and the Tigers are one of them. And yeah, I mean, the only basically you you would hope that kind of in a capitalistic sense, a team that doesn't compete would feel the pinch at the box office, and, and uh, would want to put out a better product. And I'm sure they are, but it doesn't really matter because the TV markets, you know, that's where they get so much money from now. So uh, I, I'm sure this isn't possible but if you wanted to really punish teams you'd take some of their tv money like hey if you if you don't reach a certain threshold in terms of quality or you know wins you're gonna lose part of your tv money and then teams might do something (laughs) but i don't think that's possible legally or you know in any way but it's it's you got to hit them in their their pocketbook somehow because otherwise uh teams yeah i think i think the tigers legitimately are trying to lose to get better draft picks uh, which is, you know, we've seen some teams do that in in Houston and in, in Chicago, but they did so much more than that. They hit on trades. They got lucky. They had processes in place to identify undervalued talent. And uh, I don't know. I mean, unless you want to point to Nico Goodrum and Brandon Dixon and Ronnie Rodriguez as, as some sort of secret that the Tigers have figured out to get middling to potentially average major leaguers, then I just don't see a whole lot of proof that they're doing things that you need to do to rebuild while bottoming out. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know what, what it is, why teams are so into this right now, the tank, but, uh, I guess if you're going to be into it, you might as well lean all the way in and keep losing. So well, here's the thing, too. Like, you, you talk about, like, how everyone's like, well, Houston did the same thing. It's like, nah. You know, no, I, I, I don't think they yeah. I don't think they made it stylish like this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I mean, that, that's the thing. It, it, Houston, they lost 100 games, I think, three years in a row. But, uh, you know, they made a ton of really good moves. And they, they made so many good moves that they could get away with blowing two consecutive uh, first overall picks, which is insane. But uh, they did it, and uh, yeah, it's it's just I don't know. You you need to have all the other stuff in place to execute this. It's not just the draft, and I yeah, I just don't see it. 
Yeah. For the and, Tigers. And, and, and to me, I think the reason why it's such a kind of like a short piece I wanted to bring up is because it, it's just, it's, it, we've watched the, we watched them tonight against the Royals. And even last, the last night's game with the, the error and right field. And, and you can say what you want about Brandon Nixon. Dixon's been a pleasant surprise. Who, who expect them to have six home runs and yeah. have that kind of power. But at the same time, when you have John Hicks in the, the right the entire right side, not supposed to be lining up there. That's, that's where I have a problem. Like that, that's where it's like, all right, guys, you're, you're not even trying to be creative here. You're doing this out of necessity. And then you're trying to like cute and trying to sell us that. Well, well this is the way we had designed. No, this is not how you had it designed. And that's where I guess I have a problem. So that's, Rant over and you know, yeah. I mean, none of the the moves that they've made have that feeling that they're like you know they're searching for options. You know, it's like Austin Adams and you know just these random guys who are going to show up and be gone. Um, and you know, the, so that 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 defensive play that cost them the game the other night. There are a lot of people on Twitter that were just uh, just all over. Uh, Nick Castellanos saying like he's completely checked out. Yeah, oh, and yeah. I don't I don't know that that's fair. I mean I'm I'm not the world's biggest Castellanos fan. I think that he just I, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason he doesn't take charge in the outfield. Like he has to know on a play like that he's the outfielder. He has to be the guy who comes in and catches it. And for whatever reason he just allowed one of the other players to call him off. And you just you can't do that as an outfielder. And, and maybe that's just you know it's. He's moved all over the field, but this is his like second full time full year in, in right field. He should know better. I don't think it's him like just not paying attention or not caring. I don't think that's the case at all. We talked before about the, these are some of the most competitive people on the planet, I and mean, it must suck to be on a team and know that the team doesn't want you, and the team doesn't want to win. But I don't think he's the type of person who's going to go out there and just be like, I don't care. I want to lose this game. Like that. I don't think anybody in, in the majors is like that. If that were the case, he would have been suspended. Like, teams don't put up with that. So, I don't know. I, I think, you know, fans just like to yell at people when they can. And it was it was a bad play, but I don't think it was, like, deliberately bad or because he doesn't care. Yeah, and, and that, that I hate that narrative, too, that, that, well, he doesn't care, he's not trying out there, he's not a gamer. And, and that's such an old, tired, bullshit cliche that gets so old and, and then just... They, they they love him for a minute, and then Twitter Tiger Twitter sometimes just go turns it off when it's that kind of miscommunication. And it, enough with that. Like, just you can't. How are how are you going to know what it, life is like unless you're an ex major leaguer yourself, playing out there every single day, the road trips, the, the grind of it all, to make an assumption like that is just ridiculous. And that, that I've never. Yeah. And you, you can be a quarterback fan, you know, like be a fan all you want, but like, come on, there's a little logic. Yeah, I, I mean, it it sucks to be a lame duck player, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't think there are many players, many professional athletes who, who go out there and deliberately dog it. Uh, and when they do, it's very obvious and, you know, things happen. So, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just, I don't uh, want, yeah, well, people can do whatever the hell they want. I just think it's silly. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but... uh then the podcast, we have a couple things I wanted to mention. Next week, we're going to have uh, Tiger's History, the, the Tiger's History gentleman who hosts the podcast, Nathan, who is part of the, the Sabre community here in Detroit, who's working on, there's some stuff he's working on. We're going to have him on next Wednesday. 
talking. The 1984 Tigers is uh, will be going a little. Will be the the celebrations are coming up at the end of the month at Comerica. I think it's June 28th and June 29th. The Tigers are going to be honored in the 84, the 35 year anniversary of the 84 squad. So we'll be talking about that next week. And also, don't forget to check out Saturday, June 15th at the Detroit Historical Museum, the Negro Leagues and Detroit Star, uh, Detroit Stars, which is the exhibit that's marking the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Detroit Stars. One of my favorite jerseys the Tigers do every year, the Stars jersey. And they're showcasing the the the, Afri- the black history of Detroit baseball. The Stars, including guys like Norman Turkey Stearns, who got uh, through first pitch a while back. Uh, so, yeah, that's going on at the Detroit Historical Museum. And, the, the, and you, know what's, you know what's interesting, too, Chris, is this history is right here in the historic Hamtramck Stadium that is getting money to get the, uh, re, kind of uh, touched up again. It's an important part of history, I think, as well. And that is only that stadium held the only team that has won the Little League World Series, which was back, I believe, in 1957-1958. I can't remember the exact year off the top of my head right now. But that stadium was built in 1930, and a lot of those, like Josh Gibson came through there, Satchel Page, loads of talent came through there, and then just right in our own backyard. So it's a, it's a pretty cool piece of, piece of history and worth checking out. So if you're not familiar with the Detroit Historical Museum, I highly recommend it for any uh, historical nerd out there. For so, sure. For so. Until then, we'll see you next week. And uh, don't forget to check out all our great content at SportsRadioDetroit.com and our partners over at Overtime Media. And, of course, the Tiger Minor League Report with uh, Erie Go, with Robert James and Keenan Talkin, and then James Chapman. You actually hear the voice of James Chapman. Chipman. Chip Chapman. Chipman. As James Chipman and Keenan talked Lakeland Tigers, they talked uh, Scruble, who will probably be the next Erie Seawolf at some point here in the next month, I would speculate, and uh, all our stuff. So go check out all the great podcasts, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week.